On this Easter day, the preacher has a chance to read or an opportunity to read any of four narratives from Matthew, Mark, and Luke about the Easter event. Not one of them is about a witness of the actual resurrection of Jesus. It is about all of the circumstances and the personalities and the, and the settings and the context around which it happens, but no one in the text actually is a witness to it. What they are witness to is what happens next. All four texts, however, reveal that it was women or a woman who were first to the empty tomb. In those days, when women were considered more property than precious, that itself should gain a laugh. Women got there. So should the disciples' clownish refusal to see that even though it was right before their eyes, these women were telling them gossip, which is what Luke says. They heard from the women that the tomb was empty, that they had seen the risen Lord, and the, and the men disciples considered it an idle tale. All four of the stories are a little different in detail, as any story would be. Four sisters in New York City see a traffic accident, and all four will give you a different account of what happened. And plus, each gospel has a different agenda, a theological agenda that they want to use to help us understand the point they're trying to make in their gospel. This morning, let's look at the gospel's account from John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Early in the first day of the week, that is, the beginning of Sabbath, while it was, excuse me, the day after Sabbath, while it was still dark, dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary... Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around, and saw Jesus standing there, 
but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him myself. Jesus said to her, Mary? She turned and saw and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbi which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. O God of resurrection light, enlighten us with the power of your spirit so that we may come to hear our names called and come to understand whose we are and who we are in Christ's name. Amen. In John's story, it was one woman, Mary Magdalene alone, who goes to the tomb in the dark of the morning. Torch in hand, she stumbles up the path, arrives at the tomb, hoping to finish her job, either of taking care of the body of Jesus, not knowing that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had done that when they entombed him, but also, in a way, to bring closure to the fact that the one that she loved so dearly and followed, she thought was her Lord and Savior, had died on the cross two days earlier, and she needed to go, she needed to see the body. And that's true for all of us. If you've ever known anyone who lost a loved one, but whose body was not found, you know how hard it is to bring closure. Mary needed some closure. So when the Sabbath was over, she went. Only she found that there was no closure, that the body was not in the tomb, but in fact somebody she thought had rolled the stone away and stolen it. Assuming that, she runs back to Peter and to the other disciple and says to them, they've stolen Jesus. I don't know where they put him. Peter and the other disciple jump up, run to the tomb, foot race. The other disciple gets there first. He looks in the tomb and sees the linen wrappings lying there that buried his body, but he did not go in. Peter shows up, and as Peter is apt to do, he just dives head into the tomb goes in and finds the linen wrappings lying there and the wrapping covering his face perfectly folded up and placed to the side as any polite guest would do with a dinner napkin. He comes out. The other disciple goes in after Peter, looks around, and it says, then he believed, but... It's ambiguous. What he believed was, yes, they had stolen the body of Jesus. For as yet, they did not understand that Jesus must be raised from the, from the dead. 
Disciples go back. Mary standing there, weeping, bends down, looks into the tomb, and sees the burial linens, the head cloth, and two angels sitting there, one at the feet of where Jesus used to be and one at his head. But she was not alarmed by this for some strange reason. She simply repeated to them what she'd said to the disciples, to the angels. They've taken away the body of Jesus. They've stolen it. Do you, do you know where it is? If, if so, let me know. Now, the point of this is all of this is being revealed in a progressive fashion. First, the, the linen covering of the body, then the linen covering and the head cloth, and then the angels, and then, uh, excuse me, then uh, the other disciple sees it all, and then Mary sees all of that, and the angels step by step, which is what I think happens any time that we face something traumatic. We can't swallow the whole event whole. We have to take it piece by piece and step by step. This is such a huge event that John wants us to see how it should only be seen and read in a step-by-step -step fashion. It takes a long time to get from running to the tomb to seeing the angels, and in the end, seeing and hearing Jesus. I've met, I've met with people who have faced trauma so severe that they could not talk about it. They couldn't remember it. But over much time of love and therapy and EMDR and other ways, these people find their memory and are able to articulate it again piece by piece by piece until after telling the story over and over and over and over, they're finally able to get it all. And I think that's what's going on with Mary. She's needing to tell the story. They've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they have laid him. The angels ask her why she's crying. She doesn't flinch. They've taken away my Lord. Then, then, after saying this, she senses something behind her, or someone, and she turns around and sees a man standing there that she thinks is a gardener, maybe because her eyes were so filled with tears. And he says to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? giving her one more chance to tell the story. Certainly he knew who she was looking for. He knew why she was weeping. And continuing with her need to find the body, she says, Sir, if you have carried him away, please tell me where you have laid him, and I'll take him away myself. And in that pause, that that full pause, the climax, the denouement, the revelation that changed the world. No more formalities between these two supposed strangers in the garden. For the mystery is revealed when Jesus says to her, Mary, that's all it took. Mary, in only the way 
Jesus could have said it in the way that Jesus had said it so many, many times before in their three years of discipleship together. And at that hearing of her name, standing outside the empty tomb as she was weeping, she had discovered that this gardener was Jesus. And she reaches out to grab him, and he steps back and says, No, you cannot hold on to me because I have yet to ascend to my father. And then he said to her, go, go, go to my brothers and say to them just this, that I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God, that we're all in this together. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them all these things. This, this story, I think, is so full of intimacy and power between a teacher and a student, Jesus and Mary. And this is the story John chose to reveal about what happened at the garden during this Easter day. Mary, have you ever heard your name called like that? Not everyone responds positively. In that first garden story, Adam and Eve in the garden, after being given everything that they needed, only one prohibition, you cannot eat of this particular tree of, 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 of ultimate knowledge. They, they eat of it anyway, and then they go into hiding, and Jesus walks in the garden, and he calls them by name, Adam, Eve, where are you? But they are so ashamed, they hide behind a tree. Having your name called is not always a positive thing. But in this case, when God called Mary out in the garden, he had reversed the whole experience of that first, what we call the fall. And I contend, although it's edgy, that what the fall was about was the unwillingness of Adam and Eve to admit that they were enough in their birth and being. Born in the image of God, that's enough. Nothing more can add to it. They had been given everything in the garden, but one thing, that was enough. They could not admit that they had enough. How many of us go through life constantly worried that we are not or do not have enough. And that's original sin. Because it undermines the very beingness of who we are as God's child. When Jesus called Mary by name, she knew he knew her and that he knew she was ultimately enough. Mary. My mother used to call me Stevie till, I, till the day she died, in, in fact, or the night before when I talked to her on Mother's Day. I was 49 years old. Stevie, thanks for calling. Mom, I love you so much, but can, can I ask you just one more time? I'm 49. Please don't call me Stevie. <laughs> 
I know, I know, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Um, and then when she hung up, of course, it was, I love you too, Stevie. And <laughs> anybody in this world, everybody in this world can call me Stevie, but nobody can call me Stevie like that but my mother. For she knew me better even than I knew myself. She birthed me and raised me. My mother knew me. Mary, Jesus says. Now I have friends who say that this whole religious resurrection Easter stuff is lovely because they like the music. One particular friend shows up every Easter because he wants to hear the hallelujah chorus and Jesus Christ is risen today and, and, the, and the timpani and the trumpets. He loves all that. But he says, you know, it's really just a, it's just, it's, it's a gig. You're, you're just projecting your universe of infantile needs and desires onto it. Like a child's effort to get peace and comfort going back into the womb. I think Freud kind of said that in fact. Who was it? Marx who said it's an opiate of the masses. I can see that. I mean, I can see where they're coming from. In a way, religion is an escape, a refuge. And the promise of resurrection seems sometimes so hard to imagine. That we're just living out in this resurrection world and it's like, okay, now that resurrection's here, I don't have to worry about anything. I can see that. But I want to say that there's nothing to be ashamed of in claiming this story as security and refuge, but not the kind of refuge we think. Who cannot around us each, us, each of us, give thanks for the shelter and refuge our families and friends and coaches and people in our lives have given us to make us who we are? We all are social creatures who need refuge. Who among us has not been altered by the power of love? It is a biological, psychological, and spiritual need in all of us to find safe place. Nothing to be afraid of or ashamed of. But, the, and I, but I gotta say, my friend has a point because he knows that there are some Christians who believe that all we need to do is confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and then that takes care of everything. It doesn't matter what we do for the rest of our lives. We now know that we have a get-out-of-hell card free, that, that life is just what it is, and therefore, you know, I just wait for being resurrected. I've got that promise. And even worse, there are some Christians that believe that confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior is the way to bring in the rapture or the second coming when Jesus will finally come down and judge the world and bring those who are chosen, whose name he calls up into heaven while leaving the rest of us down on earth to burn, I guess. They pray, literally. They pray for the rapture to come to get them out of this world. I can understand that when for so many people this world is hell on earth. But this morning's story is not about any of that. It is about not how to escape from life, but how to find refuge in life. In life. A life of meaningfulness and 
worthwhileness, a life of purpose, a, a life of God, a, a life of, of love and faith and hope, a life of giving back and, and being present, of living fully into life itself every single day with the promise that the only ultimate thing we have to worry about has already been taken care of. Now we are set free to live fully out of our enoughness. Jesus says to Mary, go. Go now and tell the disciples all that I have told you. And she does. And what she does know now is that the Lord is our shepherd and we shall not want. And even as we go and we end up in the valley of the shadow of death, we do not, we do not fear for we are not alone there. Jesus didn't walk this lonesome valley alone. He walked it so that he can walk with us and we will know that he walks with us. For we are his sheep and we are of his pasture and when he calls us by name, we respond. What else do you do when you're a sheep and the shepherd calls? Go, Jesus says. Go out into the world and live fully the way that God intends, which looks like Jesus' life. And when we get lost, don't worry. Just listen. God will call you by name. If not now, then certainly then. Amen.